0: Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting
1: governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Eric Trexler, who I believe is coming to us live from the beach this week. Eric?
0: I am, Rachel, and my mic has failed, and I'm recovered from COVID, and I still miss RSA. I'm still looking at our press badges that I made for $4 <laughs> in some sense, and uh, we got to do a live show again pretty soon.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm very devastated about RSA not working out, but... We'll find another one. Well, we'll
0: get it. But let's get to our guest, who we just learned in the prep session, is a first-time guest. He's very close to us, an expert in the space, and he's never even listened to the podcast.
1: That's correct, Eric. Uh, let's welcome to the podcast, John DeLulo. He's the Chief Revenue Officer for Forcepoint. Welcome to the podcast, John.
2: Thank you very much, uh, team. Very very glad to be here today.
0: <laughs> John, very disappointed that you haven't heard that, but we'll get over it. You'll, you'll listen to today's episode.
1: Hopefully.
2: Okay, Rachel,
0: <laughs> kick us off. <laughs> I see you're speechless. Kick us off.
1: Okay, so uh, so much to talk about, John. And, you know, I, I know you're a big uh, proponent, you know, as things are opening up and the importance of in-person connections and, you know, kind of going out to meet people. And, and in doing so this year, I mean, you've pretty much been to, I don't know, every continent except for Antarctica. Uh, and I, I'm just curious to know, in, you know, as you're traveling around regions and talking to so many different people, you know, customers and uh, partners and and what have you, um, are you seeing any kind of trends or interesting perspectives or disparate security perspectives and how geos are are um, you know kind of attacking their cyber challenge?
2: Well, that's interesting. And getting back out into the field, talking with our customers in different countries in different regions, is so vitally important to understand the unique challenges that everybody faces. I would share with you. Uh, It is not exactly as you would expect when you live in the U.S., as I do. And I've been trapped in the U.S. for the last two and a half years. You you tend to think that everybody is attacking you. And the real truth, when you get out into the world and you talk to the people that are dealing with security issues, you realize that. In reality, everyone is attacking everyone. The symmetry is amazing. And just like we've seen trade walls and barriers Uh, that have been erected during the pandemic. Uh, Similarly, I think we've seen exactly the same thing when it comes to data privacy. And countries are really freaked out about data leakage on a worldwide basis. And they're very, very concerned about data losses behind their physical borders. And, And this feels new. People seem to, in the past, be a little bit more experimental in this area. Uh, Today, it seems to me that everybody is worrying about where is my data and how do I make sure that it doesn't fall into the hands uh, of the wrong people? You asked also thought leaders who's leading the charge here. I'm going to have to give four gold stars to the Europeans, I think, because they were really the first ones out with the GDPR policies. Mm -hmm. And that is the anchor that a lot of other countries are now leveraging to uh, amplify or to uh, or i should say to, to complete uh, their data privacy uh, their data residency concerns uh, that they're dealing with in in the commercial environment.
0: John it's interesting you say that you know because they have led with GDPR that they're uh, I don't want to use the word Balkanizing but there are a lot of countries that are creating their own their, their own castle wall, moat, whatever you want to call it, kind of scenario where they want to keep data local. Um, yeah. But when I when I look at like the tech giants in the world, Facebook, or what do we call them now? Meta, I guess, Rachel, keep me up to, uh, keep me hip and up is, to speed. That please.
1: would be Meta, yes, Meta.
0: Meta and, and Alphabet, not Google, sorry. And Apple and everybody else, you know, the, 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 the big guys who are out there, even Twitter might be in that. They're all American companies. And I think America's laws and innovation and, and freedom to go out allows for that. Do you see these European countries, I was going to say artificially, but constraining themselves because they're trying to protect data and they're trying to protect themselves more? Constraining well, innovation I, uh, and, th- and things like that. Sure.
2: Well, first of all, I think you need to to uh, recognize. I know there is an incredible innovation that happens in the U.S., but in, in many areas, the U.S. is not necessarily a technology innovation leaders. Uh, if you look at if you look at uh, some of the incredible innovations that are coming out elsewhere in the world, I'm talking about things uh, the companies like Weibo and Alibaba. You really need to uh, put things into perspective in some cases. But some of the commercial cases have certainly been the the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, and uh, I whereas I I I think that uh, what the governments are doing, rightfully so, is is not necessarily constraining innovation, but rather directing it. And I do think that customers require uh, innovative approaches to managing their information assets, and that's that's one of the things that we do as a company. We're trying to rise to that to that challenge that the governments are giving us. That are, I think that rising to the cha- rising to the challenge of the, what governments are asking technology providers to do is actually an op- providing an opportunity. These are, not, these are not wanton, frivolous requests. As more and more of the economy is digitized, maintaining uh, providence over those digital assets is incredibly important. And I'm, I'm glad to see the response that, that Forcepoint and, and so many other companies are doing to to try to, to, try to meet these needs.
0: It's, it's interesting, as, as you talk about, I'm thinking about the, the, these countries, let's pick on Europe for a second. It's almost the, like they understand the risk and value their data, value what, what they have from an IP perspective more than, let's say, the US or other countries do, um, because they are taking a lead in these areas, in, in many of these areas. Yeah, I
2: think rights. the uh, some of this might be cultural. I mean, the US and it, it the way that that we've treated data in the US for many years now is is much more promiscuous than the way they do in in Europe and and so I think you know we have some we have some maturing to do perhaps in the US, but I like I like looking at the example that the Europeans are setting and I'll remind you that the the European economic zone is is uh, certainly uh, bigger And it's the second largest economy in the world, bigger than the bigger than the US, in fact. So they they're doing so with uh, an air of credibility that I think we should that we should learn from.
0: Yeah, we were, we were talking earlier about crime and, and cyber crime. And, and, you know, what were your comments there? You know, about about well, individuals, I, it's it's the crime where we have to take care of ourselves, right? The, the you know the the police forces of the of our nations aren't necessarily protecting us.
2: oh I think the the ironies in cyber crime are just uh, almost innumerable. Uh, when you when you compare the the number of the average the average hacker can make uh, you know seventy thousand to one hundred thousand dollars USD per year. The average burglar is is lucky to clear two thousand five hundred in a heist. And yet, there's seven million burglars in prison in the U.S. alone, compared to uh, you know the number of hackers. I don't know that are in prison right now. Probably numbers in the dozens. And the the take last year was certainly north of a half a trillion dollars. So I, I really don't even know how to compare this. This is something that is didn't didn't take us one year to get here. If you look at the expansion that's happened in 2005, the whole world spent. Three billion dollars on cybersecurity solutions in 2015. Ten years later, uh, we spent 300 billion. So uh, there's a market that's growing a uh, hundred, a hundredfold over that, or over that thousandfold over that period of time, and yet you have no, uh, nobody is actually serving time for these breaches. It's almost a consequence-free uh, crime today, and uh, it's going to require a lot of vigilance on our part.
1: Okay, so. But it is interesting, John. I mean, that's a, it's a great point, right? Um, there, there's not a lot of crimes happening, although I will um, suggest people start watching Web of Reality on Netflix. Um, you know, it's, it's looking at various cyber crimes, and, you know, some people do go to prison, you know, but uh, it's, it's uh, I think, an anomaly. And what it took to get that person to, cr- to prison is crazy. But uh, when these cyber crime syndicates are operating as global enterprises, right, with HR departments and with impunity, right? I mean, they know they're good to go. And, you know, so how do you fight that, John? I mean, you've been in security quite a long time. Uh, are we going to get ahead of this thing?
2: Well, we certainly are. We're going to we're not going to lose the battle. We're not going to. Oh, an optimist. Un-ring. I love it. We're not going to unring the bell that is the digitization of the economy. That is not going to happen. There are far, 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 far too many benefits uh, that have come to humankind uh, through all these innovations, we are just going to start to embrace better solutions, and those better solutions, I, I think, some of them we've seen spawned in the last five years in the environment of zero trust is probably the most profound, where you finally have a at least an approach uh, to ensure that there there's not quite so much implicit trust in the way that we the way that we handle. Uh, the assets of our of the people of our nation. You also see that in the move from cybersecurity being just a commercial problem to also being a, a, pop, a problem that the entire population faces. You see surveys where eight out of ten or nine out of ten companies are now saying that in the prior twelve months they were the victim of a cyber crime. So it's it's ubiquitous, and as a result, you're you're going to see a constant progression of uh, security postures and an improvement in the science uh, that helps us to be successful. Now, I would say that one of the challenges I think we have right now is that there have been there are so many vendors and there are so many errors of commission and there are so many uh, so many. Surface areas that have been increased in part by the number of vendors that are participating in the space, but also just because of the, the changing topography of the workplace, especially during the pandemic. And these changes have dramatically made the job tougher, but I don't think it gets much tougher from here. And I do think the, the science of security starts to catch up uh, with what's been the science of of this kleptocracy around the the misappropriation of information assets
0: John we've seen over time since the you know first uh, cyber since the first virus let's go back in the 70s right we've seen people spend more money we've seen the adversary make more money or steal more data or whatever their their treasure is right um, why do you see it changing now I mean we've got thousands and thousands of vendors. You and Rachel just came off the show floor at RSA last week as we're recording this. What do you see to make you feel like we are going to get ahead?
2: Oh, I, I – uh, I, I know you, I know you I mentioned zero trust in architecture. Yeah, I think, I think architectural approaches, more disciplined approaches. Uh, I actually think the breaking with the past, uh, there is no castle – wall there is no drawbridge there is no secret handshake there is no moat i think understanding that the the network and the information the surface area is very porous will actually change people's view away from the historical wall building model and so uh, changing that approach is going to put uh, application access and sensitive information uh, access into a completely different security posture, and and you see some of those technologies emerging right now. You hear you hear zero trust, zero trust deployments of things like, of things like SaaS and uh, CDR is another great one. Content disarm and reconstruct. Uh, you see things uh, such as uh, private application access. All of these technologies now they're much harder uh, to take advantage of. They're much they're much more difficult to secure a toehold. Uh, but I would also. I would go further to say that there's also, I believe, and I saw this at RSA firsthand, an acknowledgement that the battle is, you know, if, if it's not, uh, if it's not in its final hours, it's it's getting close. That that the four thousandth and first security vendor is not going to be met with open arms. That the markets want, that customers want a simplification. That customers cannot handle any longer having 75 or 100 vendors in their environment. They cannot handle 10,000 alerts per day in their environment any longer. And uh, the new technologies that I that I mentioned, the zero trust technologies that, that we're deploying and others are deploying finally start to chip away at that and I do believe we're going to make the computing environment much more safe.
0: I think if the global economy recesses or, or, you know, we have some challenges here, that may be one of the driving factors also. You don't go from 4,000 to 5,000 or 6,000 cybersecurity companies. We see some consolidation, which may help. But you bring up RSA. Both you and Rachel, as I mentioned, were at RSA. I wasn't able to go. I'd love to hear from the two of you. What, What did you hear from customers, from partners? What trends observations. It it was a two-year hiatus, a a little more than two years, I believe, Rachel, from the last one.
1: Yes, definitely. What did you guys hear on
0: the floor and and, as you were meeting with people?
1: John had Uh, a lot of great meetings. Yeah. yeah. We'll start with you.
2: Well, I mean, most of my meetings were with with customers, of course, but I'm going to paint the RSA show maybe in a different light than others would. It seemed to me uh, that Uh, More than anything, people just wanted to talk and were excited to be out from for probably 50 percent of the people that I met with. It was their first time out. Mm -hmm. I don't think I remember more socializing at an event and maybe in that regard, less business talk. Uh, But I'm sure as RSA closes up, they'll say this was this was the vendor of the year and this was the hot topic of the year. But I think the real hot topic was just people getting back out into into the whole swing of things, understanding what's happening, uh, embracing best practices, learning from their peers in the industry. And I would say that uh, that's that's what the real benefit of the show was this uh, this past week.
0: I caught a lot of that on Twitter and with people I talked to, they were either complaining about it being a covid uh, massive.
1: uh, Yeah, covid is swag. Yeah, that's what I was right? hearing on yeah, Instagram yeah, yeah, Twitter. Yeah. You yeah. saw a ton of that.
0: <laughs> or you saw people talking about how great it was to get together after over two years, mm-hmm. you know, as an industry with people they knew they haven't seen because, you know, RSA brings people together. It's the biggest show out there. Um, you, you kind of saw both perspectives. Those were the two I heard from afar. Rachel, thoughts? What did you see? I mean, you run a massive event there. We did a podcast uh, two years ago on what it's like to do it. What's well, we did
1: one last week with Miko, too, right, if you recall. Um,
0: we did from the, uh, from the event.
1: Yes, yes, and it was good. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. It, it felt like a very different event, though, and, and I think John was kind of talking a little bit about this, and um, you, you kind of get the sense that and maybe there's like that traditional trade show fatigue. You know what I mean? It's like as people are starting to come back, they have a different perspective, right, and kind of different needs and and things that they want to get out of, like personal engagements. Uh, And it made me start wondering, I mean, it's, you know, kind of, are we starting to see, you know, kind of these big, massive shows, you know, are they going to jump the shark, right? I mean, we've seen like Comdex go away. I mean, you see it in every, you know, kind of every decade. Every industry. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and are we starting to come on that precipice where things like an RSA, maybe even Black Hat, you know, start kind of tapering down. And then you see things like DEF CON, you know, where there's no sponsorships and they're doing lots of cool stuff. And, you know, is that going to become the model forward? I, I, I think it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, John, I'd be interested well, in your thoughts as well.
2: Well, I'd probably propose a third outcome. First of all, I love the DEF CON show and uh, what the teams do there. They're all the All the capture the flag events and the if the real live white uh, white hats there, and everybody is is uh, trying to crack people's code. I wouldn't use public Wi-Fi at Black Hat, that's or <laughs> DefCon. I think that's uh, that's a pretty dangerous proposition. But I would argue, uh, you know, I had the opportunity also a few weeks ago, it, maybe it was two months ago now, in the United Kingdom to visit a cloud show, mm-hmm. and I was I was refreshed. Uh, compared to all of these shows, it, when you go to every booth at RSA, pretty much everyone tells you that they can stop breaches,
1: right? And that they're going right. to
2: secure your perimeter or your PC or your sensitive right. data. But it it all becomes a giant blur when you're walking through the through the trade show, and I that is not what I see at some of the other big trade shows like. Uh, GITEX, uh like uh, Mobile World Congress. and like this cloud show that I just visited a few weeks ago, that cloud show, yeah, it, it depended where you were, but I saw interesting things such as you know, such as wiring solutions or cooling <laughs> solutions or fire preventions and how to rack and stack more tightly or, different uh, different ways to set up the, the the cores in your in your shared uh, computing resources everything was different and helped attack what is this giant problem of delivering a comprehensive cloud solution by by offering the piece parts whereas mm-hmm. a lot of what what I feel the flaw that security providers have done today is that they just Here's another feature that helps you be a little bit more secure. I believe what customers are looking for moving forward and what these trade shows, I think they're going to be in security smaller in the future, but much more focused on the embracing of things like zero trust, philosophical security Approaches and then uh, a consolidation of all of these vendors. There's, it's a shocking statistic. There, by some estimates, there's four thousand security vendors, and yet not a single security vendor has more than three percent revenue share of the entire market. That is not a sustainable situation, and so
0: I think the next ten years
2: for decades now.
0: That's what's what's
1: Every other industry, you've got your top four, top three, right? Yeah. And, and still top here three. we are. Okay, and, if, yeah. you, if you
2: want to, I forget what you call it, a, a swallow the shark or a jump the shark or whatever jump you want to call shark, it. Jump the shark, yes. Moment, I think this is the jump, the, 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 the happy days, Fonzie, jump the shark moment where we will start to see the people that are rewarded and that with the best uh, the best real estate at shows like RSA are going to be the ones that are that are figuring out how to simplify security Uh, how to streamline Mm -hmm. security, how to consolidate vendors, how to reduce spend. That's what it's going to become. How much should you spend on security? Well, today that number is every dollar you can. And that is just not a reasonable proposition moving forward. And I do believe the pandemic and events like this year's RSA illuminated that for a lot of people.
0: And I I, I will repeat again, I think any economic contradiction taking – taking some of that um, that 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 crazy speculative investment out of the market will also limit the number of companies who are coming up with crazy ideas or the next new thing mm-hmm. and allow for some consolidation there because there are big companies with money still. But, John, I'm with you. I was at the uh, Sophic Show, the Special Operations Forces Industry Conference, and it was all about, you know, hey, something new or how you can do more. They had really cool toys and stuff and it was very energizing compared to a typical cybersecurity show where it's all about, you know, you know, look at my artificial intelligence widget or or, you know, look at look at this, you know, and and it's gonna save everything. And you know it's not going to do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: I think you're spot on there.
1: What's it gonna take though? To get to get better consolidation, though, I mean, is is it is it one of those things that just naturally is going to happen, even though it hasn't happened in 40, 50 years or I mean, how are we going to get there, John? Well,
2: touch wood, you know, this economy that Eric brought up a couple of times is going to help us out here. People are not going to be able to get more funding in a lot of cases. Most most of the companies in those three halls there in San Francisco were losing money. even some of the big public ones. And uh, when the funds dry up, when you can't indefinitely carry losses, which I think that has already happened, all of the checkbooks on Sand Hill Road have closed for these types of speculative investments. And so I think that is going to force people to come together, to merge, to simplify, to streamline, to shed, Uh, businesses that are that are not thriving and ultimately that'll be something that's very good for the security technology consumer
0: absolutely i i agree i mean it may slow down some innovation but the the innovation we're seeing in my opinion in the in the space is at a huge cost Right. right people are doing some crazy stuff but they're they're not making money and we're talking hundreds and hundreds maybe thousands of companies rachel Right, right. So they're innovating, but if you can't productize it, if you can't, if you can't monetize it, right. Right, the best you can hope for is somebody, somebody. Uh, I mean, I guess you monetize it if they buy your your idea and stuff. But if these companies disappear, if, if we see some consolidation, I think the innovative personnel will work for companies in the industry. They will just be larger companies. Right. Hopefully, they have more resources to do that, and they're not constrained by those companies where they can focus. Get the resources they need to innovate, but they're not doing crazy stuff. Right. That'll never see the never see the light of day. We'll see. That's my theory on this one. I don't. I don't know.
1: Well, it, it would be helpful John, to consolidate for the simple fact of the cyber talent shortage, well, though. Too. I mean, if <laughs> we need well, exactly we need good people and, and focused, and right now we're spreading peanut butter uh, quite a bit.
0: Yeah, if you have a million dollars and you want to invest it and concentrate on something, you can do a lot with that if you have a million dollars and you give a dollar to a million different people or, or, whatever, you know, it's so diversified that it, the effectiveness is zero right? or near zero. Right. I mean, so, so I think consolidation, I think focus, there are some things that have proven themselves out in not just it and, and, and you know, industries across the board, right there, their consolidation and focus is a good thing. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully we, hopefully we do get there. Hopefully. We'll see. John, I, I do have a question for you. You know, we're, we're seeing a lot of um, commentary from, you know, CISA's out there saying shield's up. We're seeing a lot of, a, a lot of, a, a lot of, of, um, what would I call it? You know, noise coming from the government, right? Protect yourselves. Just this week, the national cyber director, um, Neil Higgins, the deputy national cyber director said, Hey, there's an enhanced risk of the Russians' you know, getting more aggressive in cyber operations, right? American companies, global companies are being told, be more prepared, do more, focus on this. Are you seeing it? What are your thoughts?
2: Uh, I I think that the entire community of of people of practitioners for security are running at about 110% right now. And while I, I do think it's a, it's an accurate assessment, some of these reports that, your comment, that you're quoting, I don't know that there's really much capacity to do anything about it. Uh, by some estimates, there's as many as 3 million open jobs in cyber right now. I can share with you right. that, that my customers are completely consumed, doing everything that they can to keep their companies, their countries, their principalities, uh, as safe as humanly possible, and so I think, while this is good to know and certainly helpful, I I just don't know what more a lot of our companies could be doing. What I think the call to action should be should be to vendors like Forcepoint and others uh, that we need to do we need to do a better job of interoperating, of making our products easier to use, of consolidating. Of making the deployment simpler and more secure, and uh, you know, we're, we're redoubling our efforts there. And I'm hoping that that ultimately gives a little bit of relief to our customers, who I think are s- stretched into the point that these public advisories probably just just stress them out more. You know, there was a there was a study that uh, I glanced at just a few weeks ago that talked about the burnout in cybersecurity, and mm-hmm. it's true. Our teams, uh, you, you know, you've got uh, CISOs, for instance, are, are, you know, it's very rare that a CISO lasts even two years in an assignment. And uh, that's not all that dissimilar from uh, other people in the organizations. And it's just no way to run a, uh, a security practice inside a company. And, and so I, I, I think that yeah, noted that that they, that the threats are getting more real, but we need to stay the course and and just continue to simplify what uh, what the what our customers and, and companies are doing to to be successful.
1: Yeah. I'm with you,
0: Rachel. We have the uh, new concept coming up in the in the govern- U.S. federal space called a virtual CISO. You want to take a stab at what that is? <laughs> <laughs> Give it a go. Give it a go. And this, uh, this is a real, it's it's a real thing that's happening in the U.S. government.
1: Is it like an AI CISO that's just like standing by like, hey, Alexa, but it's like, hey, virtual CISO, like, is it something oh, like that? Oh, you're so
0: advanced for me. You're so advanced. No, it's actually, it, it's actually a, a uh, consultant CISO, right? Oh. Companies are, are, you know, the government is getting, they're putting consulting contracts out for CISOs who come in for six months, 12 months,
1: nice. and
0: and you don't even own a C-level personality or person in your organization, right? It's being contracted out.
2: Craziness.
1: That's interesting. It's growing. Well, if, one, if, if one
2: of uh, if one of our children came home and said, you know, mom, dad, I want to grow up to be a CISO. <laughs> I think you'd say, listen, I know a lot of them. They look pretty stressed out right now. Maybe you, you might want to consider something different.
1: <laughs> a lot of there's, cynicism there's creeps up good advice time. yes yes
0: <laughs> no but I I, I see the same thing John it's it's true I mean you're you're constantly it's almost like you're in customer service yeah everything is going wrong you've got to deal with it you, you don't get a lot of credit right you don't get ahead of the problems every day you just get more problems it is a high stress <laughs> environment for cyber defenders uh, infosec personnel CISOs yes. Whatever and
2: if that isn't enough, you can't even do it in anonymity anymore. The board wants to talk to you every 90 days
1: and,
2: <laughs> and see how exactly. you're doing.
0: Yeah. So call out to all CISOs out there or aspiring ones. Let us know if you want to come on the show, if you're happy and you and you know it and everything's going perfectly in your environment. We'd
2: like to talk to you and figure out what the secret sauce is. But with uh, that Rachel, they, there, there won't be an answer to that to that call. I mean, a lot of <laughs> Man, I don't, it so. is sad. But if you look out on LinkedIn, right. even a lot of CISOs have now removed their identity from LinkedIn. They just yes. don't want to be a target in any way, and so they're certainly not going to come on a show like this and say how happy they are.
1: Well and that's well, why we Well we can John, do the
0: masked CISO. Exactly. Be okay there. We, can, we yes. Right, Rachel?
1: That's right. The masked CISO, like they're in witness protection. We modulate the voice. There you go. You'll never know who they are. Uh, I, I think we got something going there. I, I we we invite everyone, whether you're a criminal uh, or a legitimate CISO, we invite you to come come on the show as a masked CISO uh, and we will protect your identity. I've done my plug. Yes.
0: Okay, Rachel, last one, last question. Take us home.
1: Well, I would like, as you know, Eric, I like to end on a, on a positive to note, and I, I'm an optimistic person just like John. Um, and you know, I think about the great resignation, and I also, you, know, you follow InfoSec Twitter, and people are feeling really beat down and uh, not finding a lot of joy right in in their work and and John you were sharing this really great story kind of this epiphany moment you had uh, while you were watching a, a Broadway show and I I was hoping you could share that with with our listeners um, cuz i i think it's a was wonderful it, cats? <laughs> it, was
2: it was not cats, than cats.
1: <laughs> it was Miss not Saigon? cats and i
2: i didn't know this that this i this story was going to be sh- sh-
1: <laughs> no <laughs>
2: No, it's it. It was the Music <laughs> the Man. The Spider
0: Man show that made it about <laughs> no, two two weeks.
2: No, it was, it was the Music yeah. Man, which was uh, starring Hugh Jackman, who. Oh, okay. my Big wife actor. has en- okay. my wife has endless amount of time for, but uh, it was uh, one of those things where I just was was uh, was fortunate enough to get a ticket and I saw something that I it was an eye opener for me and it reminded me. Uh, something pretty important. And that is how much, uh, how much better we do our jobs when we're having fun. And I think that extends to the, the, the practitioners in the security space that we work with too. But I'll tell you, Hugh Jackman, uh, you know, he's a, he's a very wealthy guy. He's uh, probably best known for the Wolverine, but he was also Jean Valjean. He's got a very big career. He owns a he owns a plane. He's he's very wealthy. <laughs> he's got a lovely family. I mean, he's what yet yeah, what everybody wants to be, and yet he kind of gave up the big stage and and decided to you know eight 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 shows a week Oof, uh, haul his grueling. bones at high velocity <laughs> and very kinetic dancing and singing routines, and you can see him perspire. I mean, you can see this is very physical, hard work for somebody yes. that has really made it already. Um, But you could also see, man, he's probably not the best singer. He's probably not the best dancer. He's not the best actor. And and, uh, you saw him make a couple of mistakes even during the presentation. But what you also saw was this guy had not a Pan Am smile, a real sincere ear-to-ear smile for the two hours that he was performing. And he loved what he was doing. And as a result, you saw him really inspire the, the rest of the cast. To love what they were doing, and everybody enjoyed watching his perhaps imperfect performance, but they were really motivated and inspired by it, including including yours truly. And what what I would say is that we have to get back into that space, into security, into the practicing of of all technology. It's got to be fun. It's got to be exciting. It's got to be something that we enjoy every day, not dread every day. And so. I guess a message out to all of our customers, to all of our partners, yeah, it's going to get better. And uh, we're, we're trying here at Forcepoint, and I know a lot of other companies are too, to put the fun back into yes. the digital revolution that everybody's experiencing here. And ultimately, if we're successful, if our peers in the industry are successful, uh, that's why I'm so positive. Because I think that the next 10 years of, of this space, of this segment, of this gigantic market that we're working in are about to get a lot more fun as some of the some of the stress and some of the nuances and some of the uh, some of the approaches that really really didn't pan out start to start to fade away. So I'm I'm upbeat, I'm positive and I and I thank Wolverine uh, for opening <laughs> my eyes <laughs> in that one in that one case, but most important thing is to have fun at at work and if you're not having fun uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that you have to change the way you're doing things. It means you, you need to focus on how to have fun. And if you if you Jackman can do it, you know we all can do it. And I think we can make the the industry better in the process. Now, that that, that is, is
0: great, great advice. And for all of our millennial and, and younger listeners, uh, Pan Am Smile, I believe, re- reply, uh, refers to the Pan American World Airways. Correct, John.
2: Yes, that may not. But it is, it is, it is yeah. a thing called a Pan Am smile. And the other thing is the Beauchesne smile and the, in the Beauchesne smile, you actually see with the ears. So a Beauchesne smile, ah. you can see even if someone is wearing a mask, but a Pan Am smile, you can't tell if they're smiling or not when they're wearing a mask. And so that's, if, a it's a they really mean it, right? Just, yeah. So you, I always try to do Boshane okay. smiles.
0: <laughs> Pan Am went out of business over thirty years ago, John. Just so you know, most of our <laughs> listeners have no idea who they are. But I appreciate the explanation because, we, really, what you're saying is make it a real smile, not a fake smile.
2: Like, well, the Pan find smile, a way to enjoy the,
0: what you're doing.
2: Yeah, there's and, the Pan Am smile. Is Pan Am was was the largest international carrier at you know? I guess it was thirty years ago, whatever. But it seemed like yesterday, and they <laughs> uh, they trained the Flight attendants and pilots, everybody had to have this painted on smile and uh, didn't mean that it was any better place to work. Uh, I want to see our people with real smiles, uh, proper Beauchene smiles. And that's what we strive to do every day here at at Forcepoint. And I'd say it's a a motivator, been a consistent objective of mine throughout my career.
1: It's infectious, yeah, no, it's, I, you know, think like that's the really pandemic, nice. but it is infectious when you smile, for sure.
2: In a positive way, Rachel.
1: <laughs> in a positive way.
0: <laughs> John, we're going to update your references here. Pan Am came into business in 1927, went out of business in 1991. So we're going to modernize that one, but we get what you're saying. Rachel, <laughs> we're out of time again.
1: We are. So much fun. Ah, and we're always so running out fun. of time. Always run out of time. John DeLullo, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really awesome conversation. I I hope you listen to this episode that you're on.
2: (laughs) Well, always uh, keep it real. Can we get that commitment, John? I'll I'll, I'll play it back at 1.35, but I will listen to it. (laughs) What else could we ask for?
1: That's right. That's all we could ask for. Uh, And to all our listeners out there, you know, again, don't forget to smash the subscription button. Uh, You get John's episode right to your email inbox every single Tuesday uh, and so much more. So uh, we really appreciate all our listeners out there. We love your feedback. You know, please give us feedback, uh, good, bad and different. And again, you know, any cyber criminals out there, you know, DM me on LinkedIn or, you know, hit me up on Twitter. Love to hear from you uh, because we'd love to do the mass CISO. So until next time, everybody, be safe.
0: Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.